The Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. And the courage to grow is business. MTN Business, a new world of business. Thank you for spending your time with us. This is the Big Small Business Show. On our menu for today, we have our panel discussion with Geron Slotnik from Alpha Cell. He is uh, someone who's been on the show before a few years ago, and he's coming back to the show. We're going to see how he's uh, doubled his business and what his issues are today and how we can help him. Our leadership series continues with, the, with uh, Dr. Nick Evel, and today we're going to be talking about innovation leadership. Our expert slot today is with Ricardo Teixeira from BDO Wealth Advisors and we're going to be talking about risk and reward in terms of your business and what is uh, the way to think about risk and the way to think about how to reward yourself on your journey as an entrepreneur. This part of uh, the show is our panel and uh, on the panel we assist entrepreneurs who are battling with a certain issue in their business. Now normally we have Mona Lisa who is not here this week, uh, who is our marketing guru, but uh, our steadfast Kumaran Padiachi, our finance guru is here with us today. Welcome, Kumaran. How's it? I'm well. Good, good, good. Now, I guess today in studio is uh, is Garen Zlotnik, founder and CEO of AlphaCell and QVend. The two companies are split up as follows. AlphaCell offers batteries, lighti- lighting, and torches, and QVend offers prepaid self-service kiosks and cashier-operated points of sale systems, that's POS systems. Now, Garon visited us in 2013, so let's first catch up with his business or businesses. AlphaSol is a business that provides various products such as batteries, flashlights, lighting and self-service prepaid machines to retail stores, production companies and other industries across South Africa. The founder of the company, Garen Zlotnik, joined the Big Small Business Show in 2013 to find ways of ensuring success for his business of supplying batteries and prepaid machines, but was met with conflicting advice from the panel of experts, leaving him to take a risk of which advice to follow best. You know, the one guy said that the two were in conflict with each other, and I should rather focus, and the other guy said, well, the two work hand in hand, especially in retail, where I could supply you know, our prepaid products as well as batteries to, that, to those stores, which is the case with a number of our clients. Not all of them, but a number of them. I stuck with both because, you know, I've, I've, I've basically put my heart and soul into both those, those revenue streams, really. So, you know, especially the machine side, it's, you know, it's been a passion of mine for a very long time. And I had a previous business with quite a lot of machines out in the market. And I've been doing that, I've been in that space for a very, very long time. Close to 20 years. Ven Systems is a very good supportive system in terms of supplying the customers with airtime, um, and able to help them purchase um, tickets to go on 
the intercape and all of that. So I think with us and Garen's company, we have a very good relationship because there's no downtime, so which is great for our business because we trade from 6 to 11. Um, and also it gives better facilities to a client in terms of being able to feed notes and they get change immediately back. The company has been in operation for more than 15 years, whereby in the Patchy side of business, it has made a turnover of over 6.5 million rand in the last financial year and in the prepaid machines, making over 48 million rand. With a small workforce under his belt, Garen has progressed tremendously since participating in the program. We've become more streamlined. Um, we've done some, some research uh, to find out what our clients want and uh, yeah, we've been, just been trying to get the clients happy. Garen not only seeks to find ways of improving the marketing of his business, but most importantly wants to have a partner or an investor to hop on board in order to help him succeed even further in the future. Right now I don't have, I don't have anybody actively going out looking for stores. You know, any inquiries that we get are from either referrals or from machines that they've seen out in the field, like at the airports or wherever they are. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of business that can be done, but it's pointless getting a salesperson on board. What's pointless myself going out and canvassing if there's, you know, if I don't have access to finance. So it's, it's a long-term thing, but in terms of the finance side, but to find someone in the next six to 12 months would be my, one of my goals. Now, Karen would like to expand the base of kiosks and ask for our guidance on where to find finance to support his plans, as well as find ways to break the barriers into chain stores with his batteries. Welcome back. Thank you. All right, so you listened to one of our advice. Now, you, but we got us both back here a couple of years later. Uh, we're a little more gray than we were the last time. Plus the beards. Plus the beards. We've lost a lot of weight. Yes, we lost it and then you found it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get some, some clarifying questions out of the way. So the business now, just, just to, to be clear, has got two brands. Are you running it under two brands? Under two companies. Two companies, or two, uh, two companies and two brands? It's still one brand. It's still Alphasol. Our batteries are our Alphasol and our kiosks are Alphasol as well. Right. Why have you done it that way? We've basically, the kiosks have always been, uh, and the batteries have always been an, an Alphasol brand. So we've just split the two companies um, last year. Okay, so but but in terms of the the brand that is actually going to from the the battery side, the 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 brand that goes out there is it still got Alpha Cell on the battery? Yes. Okay. So why have you kept the same brand? You don't have to tell us why you split the businesses, but tell us why you kept the I've same brand. I've only recently split the you know the businesses. So the the prepaid kiosks. You know, they obviously all got branding on them, so it's only been I get that 12 part. months. I'm just trying to work out why you would have batteries and, and light, lighting under the same brand as the, the, the cellular. What's, I, what's I, I don't think I've, I've actually just focused on it to, to try and change it, even though it's, it's under the, 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 the company QVend at the moment. So it's something that's happened very recently, it's, it's within the last 12 months. You spoke about in the clip, you spoke about how you got your clients that a lot of inquiries come through. Has there been any active marketing to, to get people to buy or, or rent your kiosks? No, there hasn't. Okay, and, and is that a function of budget or function of um, 
time? Why? Uh, it's a function of budget and it's a function of you know, having no funding to be able to, to bring in more kiosks. Let's say you had the funding, now answer his question, what would you do? So if I had the funding, I would then go and focus on, on getting more stores. So, so I would personally go out, uh, like I've done with all our existing clients, because I've uh, I've obtained all those sites. Mm -hmm. and I'll go and canvas and go and try and get more more stores on board. Okay, and and your margin? Have you competitors in the in the I industry? F from a kiosk point of view, we don't really have competitors. You don't have no. Okay, so so my question around margin is: How do you know if you're market related in terms of how you your, where your margins are? So our margins on our kiosks are, are, are slightly higher yes. than what the guys offer in the markets. But you know, there's there's so many companies offering point of sale systems, and some guys are even offering terms. We don't offer terms on our on our system, obviously due to the the, the finance issue. Yes. Um, but our margins are are market related with some some uh, suppliers, but a lot of them are slightly cheaper than us. Okay, it's time for us to take a break. We'll continue with more questions uh, straight after this. Welcome back. Now, our guest in studio today is Garen Zlotnik, CEO of both AlphaCell and QVend. These two companies offer batteries, lighting, pro lighting products, torches, and prepaid self-service kiosks. Now, before the break, we were trying to understand the breakdown of the two businesses, and I was particularly interested in uh, if uh, the, the both companies use the same brand uh, when going to market. Let, let's uh, let's just move now to I think Kumaran's. Uh, yeah, when Alan asked you question. about uh, kiosks, if you're the only one in your competition, you said there's no competition on kiosks. Just clarify that for me because I've so I thought I see know, these things. In, in terms of an electronic kiosk which accepts coins and notes and gives changing coins and notes, I don't see any any operators out there with other machines. Is that okay. so? You have 100% market share. So I've, I've seen some. I've seen another company that claims to have a machine, but I've never seen it out in the fields. Uh, on the batteries, what's your margins on the batteries? Our margins on the batteries are s are sitting around. Uh, it's it's obviously various industries have various margins, but our average is probably sitting at about thirty percent. Okay, and how how do you market for the batteries? The batteries we. We, we market really by canvassing retail stores. You know, we do supply industries such as the hotel industry and the hygiene industry and the production companies. But how do you have a field force that does that? So currently, I don't have a salesperson. I did have a salesperson, but uh, you know, we 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 basically canvass that way. But how? What do you mean how? If you don't have a salesperson, how are you? So so I'm in the process of okay. of looking for somebody currently. Yeah. Okay, let's let's come down to to. The, I liked Kumaran's question about if you had money. Okay, let's go down that route mm. because for me, I mean that's a very um, insightful, question. insightful question. So, 
The reason why you don't have money is because your overhead and your margin are around about the same, your net margin or, mm -hmm. or your gross margin. No, are you talking about for the for the prepaids? Yeah. Yes. Yes. The reason is because the machines are expensive and the, the, the finance that we originally got, yes. we were paying a very high interest rate. Yeah, but what, what I'm saying here is if, if let's say a, a, a kiosk costs X, under normal circumstances you would take out of your profit, you would take the, take the cash out of the profit and go and buy one kiosk. Mm. Then you'd buy a second kiosk, yes, and then a third, and they would generate also income, and then you'd be able to then exponentially grow the business if the bottom line grew exponentially w w with the business. But what I'm, I'm just following the logic. The bottom line has not followed an exponential growth. It's flatlined because the expenses have moved up with whatever margin you're making. So you're following yeah, yeah. So from our point of view, we've had, uh, firstly, the issue was the, the high finance costs. Yes. The second issue was we've had to go through a number of changes from a software and a hardware point of view mm -hmm. on our kiosks. So we've been dealing with a number of issues that we, we, had, to, we had to basically purchase new parts. So new brands. So it was, it was a learning curve that we had to go through. So that also created massive expenses for us. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've basically passed that stage now and we're ready to, you know, and our, our turnover shows, shows it because we're doing double the turnover now than what we were doing. Yeah, but three, your margins are on single, low, low single digits. Yes, that's, 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 that that's for cellular, but I've got a much bigger picture for these machines than just Tell cellular. Us. So, so currently we do, we do other products other than cellular, like uh, Wi-Fi hotspot vouchers, and we do interclay bus tickets. Um, I'm currently developing debit and credit card facility on the machines, which should be ready in the next two to three months. Um, I'm busy with uh, Greyhound, which obviously we're going to be developing once we finish the debit and credit card facilities. Those those type of products offer a lot better margins than cellular. Um, and besides that, you know, once we get a decent footprint, we're going to be looking at getting revenue through advertising. You know, we're very on small the on the machine because we've got a, a second advertising screen on the top as well. So that's that's a pop dream that's been there for a long time. But you know, with the amount of kiosks we got now, we can't we can't go go market that type of product. Let, let me let me ask you how many machines you've got. So currently, there? we've got thirty-two machines. Okay, and what would take you to sixty-four? Would it be just more money? Basically, yes. So each machine, on average, I, I know the margins are like very low currently. Uh, single digit low, uh, but each machine is doing about one and a half million rand a, uh, a year. Yes. Right, 48 million rand divided yes. by 32 machines, approximately one and a half million rand. Exactly. So about one, so it's doing about one point, uh, it's doing about 120 grand a month. Yes. Uh, I'm just coming back to Kumaran's question because now I'm confused. Are you saying in the whole of South Africa there are only 32 of these? Of Arceus, yes. But what about competitors? I don't see any competitors. No, in but hang on so now. Let's, well, let's look at, because you've raised this competition thing again. Yeah. So now I've got a challenge for you because competition, we have to look at more holistically, right? Someone wants to buy airtime. Whoever is capable of selling airtime through whatever mechanism, you're selling through a kiosk, someone else is selling through some other disp dispensing mechanism or whatever it is, that's competition for you. 
It may not be the same mechanism. Yeah, so, okay, so maybe I misconstrued the, yeah. the, the question. Then. So how many of those other types of non-kiosks? The guy walks well, in. Well, I mean, there's, there's probably 300,000 sites around South Africa selling air okay. yes. You see. Right. So I'm yes. saying in our current form, there's no competition. Yeah. And what's their cost in, in selling it? They've got, they don't have a kiosk, they're selling it via? So there's various systems. The ATM companies are selling the, the tool points, such so as so the train stores are selling. So, so, but at the tool points, what's the cost of their device? Well, it's built into their software, so, so they don't have that cost. So there's no cost. And your kiosk cost? 85,000. Now you see. So every time you plant a flag in another store, you have to write a capex expense for 85,000 exactly. and you have to recover that from that very low margin. Whereas your peers don't have the kiosk, they just put something that costs them a couple yeah. of grand or nothing. So there's, there's a number of reasons why the guys would, would want that kiosk. And which is? Which is to increase traffic into the store because our kiosks do a lot more than what they would do behind the, the tool systems. Um, number two, the cashier operators sometimes have shortages and issues in that respect. Um, the product range that we've got in our kiosk is a lot more than most operators that have got tool systems. And the guys don't want their tools blocked up with traffic. Mm. That's a especially the busier stores, they, 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 their mm. tool points get traffic. And, and if you look at, at uh, service stations specifically in spas, um, they they have queues at peak times between four and seven in the evening. They've got queues of people, and fifty percent of those people are all buying airtime. <laughs> so we'd rather put a kiosk there and let the kiosk, uh, you know, do the business. Let me ask a, a, a very difficult question. Normally on the show, when there's a lot of people sitting in, in this chair, and I ask the question, "Is this a hobby or is this a business?" I get this is not a hobby. I want to ask you an even harder question: Is this a business? A good business or a bad business? I believe it's a good business. What do you expect him to say? No, 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 but I, I know what I expect. I know, but Dan needs to give me the reason the why the he thinks the it's a good The reason is because, because we, can, we can offer a, a company a service where they would never be selling airtime before because they refuse. Some, some of these companies refuse to sell airtime over the counters. And it's more the independent stores rather than you know, the, the chains where they would rather not sell airtime at all than, and, and, uh, than have all those issues that, that I spoke about earlier. You asked an important question. <coughs> I get what's unique from your business, because you've said it, is two things. You avoid the queue, and it's better stock cash control on that item. Yes. So that's what's different over your competitors. And also the, the, the administration but side of it right. as well. So that's unique for the customer. But on your back end, your peers do not have this 85,000 rand cost every time they plant a flag. Mm. And your margins so we are identical to theirs. So we offer rentals as well to these stores. Yeah. yeah. I'm so trying to work at it. You haven't asked, answered my question, which is why is... I knew, you, of course, you, the, the answer would be it's a good, a good business. <laughs> but I want to understand why you think it is. I believe it's a good business because it's an annuity-based business. Yeah. So, you know... There's not many businesses that you have to fight just to keep a machine running mm -hmm. where you're earning revenue 24 right. hours a day. Right. You know, so you, new to you one, what if, else? If you look at the battery business, you, you know, our battery business, we have to fight to keep customers. With our machines, it's a, it's a different fight. We have to fight to keep the machines running, really, at the end of the day. Okay. Uh, it's time for us to take a break. Uh, during that break, Kamara and I will be thinking uh, a lot about the summary. Uh, do stay tuned for that.
A warm welcome back. Now, our guest in studio today is Garen Zlotnik, CEO of both AlphaCell and QVend. These two companies offer batteries, lighting product, lighting, I keep saying lightning, I don't know why that is, lighting products, torches, and prepaid self-service kiosks. Now, before the break, uh, we were asking some very tough questions uh, to Garen, who was sitting in the hot, hot seat there about whether or not this is a good business or not, and, and Garen believes that it is. It's time for our summaries. Going to you, Kumar. So I'm going to comment back to you on three things. One is what I heard is unique about your businesses, both of them, uh, what your challenge is, and what I think you should do. So I'm going to give it in that structure. On the battery business, I think there's nothing unique about it. I still think you should continue doing it because it's an easy appendage sale while you're at the shopkeeper. But let's be clear, there's nothing unique about the battery business. Let's talk about the vending thing. <coughs> What's unique there, as I heard you say, is that the shopkeepers or retailers want, don't want the, the queues to be clogged with people buying these things, and they don't want the schlep of the administration and the control that comes with something so low margin. So your self-service kiosk mm -hmm is unique compared to every other dispens dispensing mechanism of your competitors. I get that. Your challenge is that an obvious one, which is was your, your competitors got no cost for any device. You've got 85,000 cost, and all of you are earning the same single-digit low margin, right? So you had an obvious disadvantage. <coughs> then it brings me to what I think you should be doing, is two things. One. You're saying you need funding, but there's two important things you've got to do. One, I like the fact that you are w wanting to go into the high margin, higher margin products, but they're going to be lower volume, but I still think you should do that with accelerated urgency, like your life dependent on it. Go and get all these other high margin products. Number two, there is no sales or marketing competency aggressiveness I see in this business. And when you're dealing with a distribution-based model and a low margin model, Sales and marketing has to be a competency. That's non-existent, so I think that's a big opportunity for you to get that. So once you've got the margin right with the higher products, and then you can do this, funding will be possible. There's no point in me telling you about the intricacies of how you should get the financing, because every funder is not going to be happy about the first two. You're, the world of opportunity opens up when that first two is cleared. That's my, my take. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm going to steal something that uh, Kamaran usually speaks about, and I'm quite surprised that you didn't. I have to leave something you know, for you. Yes, to thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Kamaran uh, is is somebody I look up to tremendously around his thinking around strategy, and I think uh, what Kamaran would say on another day. He's not <laughs> feeling so well today. He didn't get this, this today, but is that you have to go back and work out what your strategy is. Mm -hmm. I, f I feel just, just instinctively with working with many businesses that it feels a, a mixture of um, I know what I want, I'm stuck in, in all the decisions I've made in the past, like I'm stuck to the, the agreements I've made, the overheads that I've signed up to, all those things I'm stuck in a bit of the past, I know what I want in the future. This is sort of working and I've got a, a, a vision for what it could be and this is the temporary strategy in order to fund that, that vision. Okay. So it feels a bit of a salad. There's good and bad in that salad. And I think what, what you need to do is literally get away from the office. Go away for a weekend with somebody you trust who 
can ask you all the tough questions and come back with a very cogent strategy moving forward as to which is the direction that you need to move forward. I will repeat what I said five years ago, focus. <laughs> Choose one or the other. I have a particular view which one, but I'm not going to say that because I think I don't have enough information. Uh, you have more information. But focus on one, put the strategy in place, make sure your margin's right. Once you get that, then you said the problem is that you can't get funding. You will never get funding if you cannot convince a funder why it's a good business. So that needs to be your focus, is you have to go to a person like Kumaran who's in the financing space and it has to be crystal clear to him why this is a no-brainer to fund this business. Here is the opportunity, here are the margins, here's my execution plan and here's my history of how I've executed in the past. You have to get that so neatly packaged that they will all be you know, falling over themselves in order to fund you because it's a no-brainer. That needs to be where your, your focus is for the next three months. And then, only, and only then, I, I think, will it become a good business. Thank you. After the break, I'm joined by Dr. Nick Erbel, CEO of Re Reciprocation Marketing Academy. And we're going to unpack what innovation leadership actually is. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is the Big Small Business Show. Now we're continuing with our series on leadership and my guest in studio, in studio today is Dr. Nick Ebel. He is CEO of Reciprocation Marketing Academy and the founder of Future of Leadership Forum. Our topic today is innovation leadership. Now what is this thing called innovation leadership and how does it relate to us as uh, small businesses? Welcome. Thanks, Aron. Well, innovation leadership, in my view, is all about how can you provide more value? How can you compete on value? I mean, so many businesses compete on price or products or service, but you've got to compete on value. So how can you deliver more value to your customers than your competitor? So why would it be deemed innovation leadership? Why isn't it just innovation? Why would you call it leadership, innovation leadership? Because you have to take a leadership position in your industry. You have to really become the one and only in the mind of your clients. And the only way to do that, in my view, is to really spend a lot more time with your clients to find out what they really want, to stay ahead of the curve, to stay on top of the trends, and to really understand what means value for your clients and how can you continuously give them more value. The, the concept of innovation and, and all these uh, big, Companies, particularly the multinationals, have got big R&D budgets, have got laboratories, have got lots of people in, in white lab coats doing all this so-called innovation. Um, how, how can I, you know, hearing you talking about innovation leadership, I'm a small business, how can I lead against those guys? In fact, the big news is probably innovation labs have failed because innovation uh, labs many times are set up as almost independent entities um, you have a much better source of innovation, and that is, in my view, three, threefold. First, your employees. Your employees many times are the ones that know best what exactly is wrong or what is right and how to deliver more value. Second, your customers, your clients. You've got to speak to your clients. They will know exactly what else they need. 
And then also you need to speak to your suppliers. Speak to your suppliers and get ideas from them. So what you need, you need to set up an ideas management system where the ideas that come up from your employees or your clients or your suppliers actually get fed into a system and then fast-tracked rather than swept under the carpet. If, if I'm a, a, a small business now watching this, this interview and I want to lead as an innovator, and, but I have comp competitors out there, just practically the first couple of steps, I know you've spoken about speaking to your customers, your staff, and, 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 your, um, who the, and your suppliers. Suppliers, yeah. But just practically how do I, as a 10-man band, a five-man band, how, what, what do I do in my business to set, up, set myself up as an innovation leader? Well, very simply, you've got to speak to your employees and you've got to ask them to come forward with innovation or with ideas for a specific theme. So what is it that, what is the target you want to improve? Do you want to improve um, customer satisfaction? Do you want to reduce costs? Are you looking for ideas for cost savings? You've got to set that target. Yeah. I recommend set it for a quarter. Then speak to your employees and please ask them and motivate them to come forward with ideas. And when I say motivate, you obviously then need to make sure that you recognize and award the best ideas at the end of that period. You know, I can reward, you know, for you to come up with the idea, but if it's not implemented or it doesn't indeed produce the saving in this example that we projected, when, when would be the right time to, to provide the reward? At the beginning, just for the idea or on some other basis? I think what you want to do, you want to, you have to measure the impact of the idea. So have you saved costs? Have you made more revenue? You have to do that obviously at the end of that period. So if you set, let's say, customer satisfaction, cost savings for a quarter, you've got to measure it and then you have to award it. And it can be very simple. In fact, there's a case, there's an employee, she was earning about 10,000 rent a month. She came to her boss, asked him, how can I earn more? And he very simply just gave her two targets. Every idea that improves revenue, you get, 10, uh, you get 15%. Every idea that saves costs, 10%. Within a year, she became a millionaire. Wow. Can be as easy as that. Wow. So, so King Shaka is a big part of how, how you know, one of the metaphors, of the, the, historically one of the leaders. Is there, is there a relationship between uh, him as an, a, an innovation leader? Absolutely. What he did, he grew his empire 10,000 times in 10 years. And he did that through what is today called disruptive innovation. In fact, I've mapped his 10 major battle strategies to the strategies of modern innovators like Uber, Airbnb, and WhatsApp are doing in business. Um, what he did, he came up with one big idea, which was a new weapon. Um, he came up with a new way to uh, the horns of the bull to capture and captivate your clients for life. What is exactly what you want to do. You want to create a new tier revenue and you want to literally capture and captivate your clients for life. And he did that mm -hmm. very, very successfully. And what were the others? So, so what was, by the way, what was the, the um, weapon? The weapon was called the Ichwa because before the uh, armies would use a flinging spear, the Asagai. Uh -huh. And he changed it to the stabbing Ichwa, the stabbing spear, which obviously then enabled hand-to-hand -hand combat and uh, enabled him to implement a concept that was known as Impia Bombu, decisive war. And that's what you want to do in business. You want to uh, uh, have decisive battles and you want to win your battles one at a time. And what really propelled him was easy bindi courage. You've got to have the courage to take up leadership and you've got to have the courage to embrace innovation and new ideas. 
And did he reward his uh, MPs? Absolutely. In fact, he was one of the few African rulers who didn't grow fat, he, who rewarded after each battle, he rewarded his MPs with, uh, with his spoils, which was in those days cattle or land. Okay. Now, I just want to come back to, to uh, talking about this and relating this back to innovation in a small business now. So now, you know, if just listening to, to, to that, that um, analogy or, uh, of innovation and what he did, how do I create my weapon, my different weapon? How do I create that innovative? Like, I, I get the savings, I get the revenue, but is it, how do I create that, that thing that can, can create the value and that I can protect that my competitors can't copy easily? It's very really easy. It's a formula is really innovation plus reciprocation equals exponential growth. Now, what I mean, and I practically do what I preach, yeah. is that you have to set your unique platform. You have to build your micro network, which means you have to decide which domain you want to own. When I say domain, do you want to own retail? Do you want to own banking? Do you want to own insurance? And you have to establish your platform themed around the future because everybody is thinking about the future. Every business is thinking, how can I keep up with the future? How can I survive? How can I thrive in the future? So what you have to establish is a platform that is themed and called the future of, for example, the future banking, the future retail, dot com. Ideally, it could be dot cosa. And then you want to go out and interview prominent influencers, your clients and others in that industry, let's say the retail industry, about their views on the future of the industry. Because you don't have to come up with great ideas. Mm. In fact, it's almost arrogant to think that you are the one that has to come up with the next big idea. I mean, there is hundreds and thousands of great influencers out there. Go out, interview them, invite them to join that forum, let's say the Future of Retail Forum, and come forward with the ideas for the industry. So you're not doing it for your own benefit, you're doing it for the benefit of the industry. And you're taking the industry into the future. Hmm. So, so to, to sum up here, yeah, I mean, that was, I think that was very, very powerful. Uh, I go out, I, I interview people around the subject which I, is a domain I want to dominate. You want yeah, to own, yeah. to own. And I get the ideas and their pain and their uh, solutions from, from the market and then execute against the, the, that, that desired value that they, see, that they need or see into the future. Basically what you do, and there's a term that's bandied around a lot now, you co-create. You co-create with your clients, you co-create with the market, you co-create with the leaders in your industry. That's really what you do. Well, that's all we've got time for for this week. Uh, next week, uh, Dr. Nick, and I know you'd like to be called Dr. Nick, uh, we, we're going to be interviewing you about personal leadership. Very different to innovation leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, I'm joined by Ricardo Teixeira from BDO Wealth, and we're going to unpack risk and reward as business terminologies. We'll be right back.
A warm welcome back. This is the Big Small Business Show. Now, risk and reward are common terminologies used in the world of business. In a nutshell, it means that if you're going to take some risk, the amount of money you should stand to gain needs to be commensurate with the risk that you took. Joining me now to unpack this uh, concept in plain English is Ricardo Teixeira, CFP and Chief uh, Operating Officer at BDO Wealth Advisors. And he's based in Joburg. Welcome. Thank you very much, Alan. Great to be here. Right. So let's uh, let's talk about risk because right. we, as entrepreneurs, we are risk takers. But what does it really mean that we take risk? Correct. So, so I think the the starting point in terms of risk can um, very much depend on the context of who's asking it and what's the purpose of the conversation. But from an entrepreneurial perspective, what you describe there, I would say, Alan, and describe it, and what we do as a BDO is that risk is to dare. It's to take a decision where that outcome is uncertain, unpredictable, and uncontrollable. And as a result of that, you're not quite sure what's going to be the outcome, but you're willing to put something at stake um, for a potential gain. Um, and that gain could either be positive, or an upside could be positive or negative, but it's the, an, an uncertainty of it is, mm. for me, what defines risk um, at, its, at its core essence. Sir. And, and talking about risk, I see you took a risk of uh, <laughs> a, a very formal guy taking your shoes off and <laughs> having some fun here. Let's hope that the reward is commensurate with the risk that you, you took. Some so, so, so we, now we, we, I spoke about the, the, com the, the commensurate, the equality, the some notional view that the higher the risk, the higher the reward, the lower the risk, the lower the reward, that there's some relationship between right. these two concepts. Mm, right. And I think what often our, our brains and our, our, our brains are wired to almost draw a linear relationship between risk and reward. And I think we almost maybe taught that academically that more risk you take, the more reward that you would expect to gain. But that's not true in business and not true in any aspect of, of life in that the risk is, like I said earlier, is uncertain and, and unpredictable. But so you're not quite sure whether that's going to be a gain. And so that reward might actually be a negative. Mm. And you see it in, in a lot of business owners where you take risks and there's failures. Mm. I think the, the, the reality of that relationship is that the more consistently you take risks and calculated risks, the higher the probability that that reward will be positive. And I think it's that relationship that we often draw on. Say that again, the more consistently you take risk. Mm. Correct. So I think the more that you're willing to actually put your neck out, make a decision. Yes you're going to get it right. You're going to get it wrong, but you're going to learn from it. So if you do it once off, that's a bit of a 50-50, yeah. I guess, is it right or not? But if I do it consistently and over time and religiously, mm. guess what? I think it'll be more successful than In if the you long just did it once. Correct. Okay. So the probability of actually being, of having a positive outcome, I think, is increased. And that's that relationship. Um, and then I would describe, and what we talk to our clients in video is that it's not linear, it's all about what decisions are you taking, how you get into, how you uh, how you arriving at those decisions, and then bearing out that over time, learning from where you actually possibly didn't get it right. Now I know that you're involved in investments, etc., but or advising on investments. Right. Um, but as an entrepreneur, the biggest investment is my business. I mean, I've not just um, financially, but emotionally as well. We we take a huge amount of 
risk on this single thing called our business. Absolutely, correct. Yeah. And, and I think that, that concept is often underlooked and, and not taken into sort of conversation when you're looking at wealth creation. So as certified financial planners advising our clients on wealth creation, it's not just about the investment alone in terms of my retirement saving or my, 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 my investment savings. It's actually about that business asset. And the business asset is the largest asset that you will, or it's one of the most significant assets you use to create the largest amount of wealth. Mm. So if you know how to leverage it, you know what the rules are, and you know how to play the game, you will be wealthy. Let's talk about leveraging this now, but let's sure. first talk about the, the risk mitigants because we do, you know, as entrepreneurs, we, you, we do take risk, but we also try and ensure that we have uh, some mitigants in place. Yeah. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs in terms of how they, they reduce the amount of risk, mm. uh, even though they're taking it, that they're reducing it as best as they can? Okay. Uh, so I think your, your precursor to that question is right, is that as a business entrepreneur, you must have the appetite for risk. Mm. So if that's not your appetite, then you shouldn't be in business. Yeah. But once you've taken that, that leap of faith and you're following, backing yourself, it's all about, for me, information and knowledge. So are you, on what basis are you making that decision? or taking that risk. And I think the more strategic you can be in terms of understanding the market, understanding the economics of your business model, having research, and being able to make a calculated and informed decision, I think you are able to mitigate against the downside. So for me, um, Alon, I'd say that an advice to entrepreneurs that we would give is to say that don't treat risk as a gamble. Mm -hmm. Gamble is, is uncertain, as is a risk, but it's not calculated. Mm -hmm. It's really just a bit of a play, red or black. Whereas a risk is around an informed decision, and the more you can be informed about it. So having a business plan, actually apply your mind to what is going to be our differentiator as, as a business. What will actually make us more successful than other competitors in that space is going to be, I think, your best protection against risk. Yeah. Let's move to the other side of the coin. Uh, <coughs> you spoke about leveraging um, Leveraging the opportunity uh, okay. award. Uh, what were your exact words to leverage the? So I think leverage the experience the ex of, okay. of actually taking um, taking risks or making decisions in business. But if I can, I think there's possibly to your point about leverage. <coughs> I would suggest there's there's two perspectives yeah. that that one should consider as a business owner. And you're quite right. The one is once I've, I've, I'm taking risks, how do I learn from that and how do I take more? And so there's a, I think a whole conversation around actually. Um, learning from those, those risks and actually capitalizing on your experience so that you make better decisions, take better risks and get a better reward. Mm. So that's the one perspective on leverage on risk. The second is, as you rightly said, your business is one of your most valuable assets and it's the source of your wealth. So I think what, what needs to be considered and particularly from a personal wealth creation perspective is when do you divert wealth out of the business and when do you mm. keep wealth in the business mm. and that's quite a that's quite a difficult conversation and a lot of entrepreneurs overlook that mm. and they either keep it all in the business or take it all out mm. and neither is right and so it's that balance between actually leveraging your success so you've been successful through the risks you've taken you've created some form of financial reward or gain mm. when do you divert that capital out so that you start creating other investments and in other businesses I, I think that is such a, a an important question um, to, to look into many we talk about taking money off the table correct you know because your business quite honestly it could be worth X today and it could be worth zero tomorrow you know just uh, things can appear out of nowhere exactly and completely decimate you and the fact that you've removed cash off the table mm. means that you've mitigated your risk and it's a very you're right mm. it's a very difficult 
um, decision to make because if you take cash out of the business too soon, you starve the business. Correct. And if you leave all the b uh, money in the business, then you you bear the risk of of losing everything. So, what would you say are maybe some triggers to think about when is sort of the right time? Even just start thinking about when to take out some okay. part of the, the, the wealth and how to live. Yeah. Okay. So. There's a couple, and I think, so if I, I think what immediately comes to mind is that concept of return on my, on my capital. So there may come a point in time, and most businesses face that, where the amounts of cash or capital that you've got within your business, you actually can't leverage quick enough to get a return greater than what you could outside of that business. Mm. So if you are not able to achieve a return greater than inflation plus, let's say, 6%, then you should be questioning yourself to say, well, actually, should I not deploy, take capital out, and put it into something, put it into equities. Yeah, that yeah. produces that return. That produces return. So, and, it's, and so if you go back to theory, it's one of, or business theory, it's one of what's that return on equity. Mm. So, but, but, but taking that out of the equation, it's the simple principle of actually, if I'm going to be successful in business, I'm going to take risks, but I'm going to use my capital to actually create future wealth. And if that return is likely to be greater than what I could get outside of my business, then you keep it in. Um, it's a good place to end. Thank you very much for your great insights today, Ricardo. Pleasure, Alon. Well, it's time for my impressions for today, and I want to take my impressions from the panel discussion with Garon Zlotnik. And we spoke about strategy in the summary, spoke about strategy, but I've got many emails asking me about what the strategy thing means. And I have to admit that strategy is a uh, a simple thing made very complex and uh, I must say uh, on my journey through entrepreneurship I have battled to understand this thing called strategy but without it I think we are dead in the water and most entrepreneurs unfortunately I have to say that most entrepreneurs don't understand strategy don't know how to devise strategy and don't know how to execute on strategy so here are six pointers how to think about strategy in your business the first question that you have to ask yourself is what do we want to achieve or what do I want to achieve as an entrepreneur or business owner? And what does, do I want this business to achieve? Because without the place, the, 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 the thing, our goals, our targets that we want to achieve, we can go anywhere. So we have to first identify what is it that I want for this business. Then write that down, spend time and write that down. If you've got a team, debate it with your team and get your consensus as, as, as to what is the big number, the big market share percentage, or whatever the case may be that you want to achieve. Number two, what markets will allow you to best achieve that number, that percentage, that thing, given your current assets and your, your uh, competencies? What, what, which market? Does this market allow you a better chance than that market? Does this market allow you a worse chance because of X, Y, and Z, but in the long term it provides you a better opportunity? It's about you going through understanding which markets will allow you to, to achieve that given your competencies and assets. Then you have to ask yourself, what do we actually need? What are the resources that I require in order to achieve the, uh, the, 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 this objective? When I go into that market, what will I need? in terms of people, assets, other resources, and, and then which leads us to the, the next question is how will you glean or buy those, uh, those assets, wh which is 
really all those resources, which is really a finance question, is how are you going to finance your journey? Are you going to finance through profit? Are you going to finance through, through a financial institution? Are you going to finance through that through friends and family? Who, who's going to help you to achieve that in, in terms of the financial requirement to, to buy those resources? Number five is what is the team that you require and what is the structure of that team? You need to be thinking about, okay, I need a sales team in order to achieve that. And if I'm wanting to get 100 million, uh, each salesperson is going to be producing t about 10 million, so I need 10 salespeople. How much do they cost? This goes back to how, what resources do I need and, and how much money does it take to buy those or glean those resources. But what is the structure of the business in order to deliver on achieving my objective? And the final thing is, is how do we start? What are the first steps to moving forward? Now, that are, those are six basic questions asked to get your strategy going. But no strategy will ever work without execution. Well, that's it for my impressions for today. This is your show and we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you want to talk about on the show. We do love your emails and so please keep them coming to bigsmall at bdtv.co.za or interact with us on Twitter. And we're getting a huge amount of Twitter activity and we love responding to you. Our Twitter handle of course is bsbs underscore bdtv. It's goodbye from me and remember if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. The courage to grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today.